in order to lean on arms, you've got to come to the place where you can and will no longer stand yourself. Solomon said, I am but a little child, and he got all the wisdom in the world. David's going to pray many times for the Lord to deliver him from his enemies, and he will. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel 13 tonight and consider for a few minutes the heart of David again. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. These words are addressed to Saul. Painful words from the mouth of Samuel the prophet. Painful words. Verse Samuel 13, 14, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Those would have been painful words to hear from the prophet Samuel, knowing that his words came true, and they had for many years. When we see that verse, I hope that we see him there, God looking for a man after his own heart. And we want to be that man. We want to be that kind of man. What made David different? What made David special? To God and to good men. Remember, the whole nation loved David. God loved David. What gave him those traits that God and good men loved him? What was he like? And in what way was he like God's heart? Because that's what the Bible says about that man. Everyone in this room is able to move in the direction of being like David. Yes, true. We may not attain to all that David was because David was given many gifts. True. But we can certainly move in the direction of David. Yes. Everyone in here. Amen. Right. Amen. As my father wanted to tell our whole family last night, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us that is able to modify our hearts, our actions, and should be, so that we can be like David. That should be our goal. This subject, can you find anything in the Psalms where David describes how he overcame fear, anxiety, discouragement, and so forth, it hardly can end. Go into the Psalms because that's what they are. And so preparing for this was a trial in where do you cut it off? So tonight we come to the sixth point of David's heart. Can you remember the first five? The first one, zeal in worship. Amen. He loved the house of God. Amen. And a day there was worth more to him than a thousand anywhere else. He'd rather be a doorkeeper there than to dwell in the tents of wickedness with lots of money. That was zeal in worship. What was number two? Mercy and truth. truth. David knew how to balance mercy and truth better than most men. And he spoke of it more than any man in the Bible. Balancing a love of truth, which oftentimes appears to be unmerciful, balancing that with mercy, which appears sometimes to compromise truth and knowing how to balance them both. The Lord is perfect at it. The Lord Jesus Christ, they're kissed together in Him, but David very much had both. Third, personal spiritual exercises. And there were four of them. Four personal spiritual exercises of David that gave him a heart like the Lord's. 
confession of sin, meditation, prayer, self-examination. Are those four things in your life, those are private religious exercises of David that made him different. That is how your heart is changed, by your private worship of God. Confession of your sins, meditation upon God and upon His Word, prayer, and much of it, and self-examination to find what might not be pleasing to the Lord. Number four, praise and thanksgiving. David loved to praise the Lord and to give thanks. He wasn't just thankful. He gave the thanks. He wanted to get in public. He's the one that speaks of wanting to get before the great congregation, the assembly of saints, where he could exalt God before others. Number five, God's musician. David loved music and singing that praised the Lord. Tonight, temperamental triumphs for a few minutes, and we need to go. How David overcame circumstances, his temperament, and he ruled his spirit by faith in God in adverse circumstances which come our way throughout life, and they will continue to come. Every one of you young people in here, you will be challenged, you will be frightened, you will not know what to do at times in your life, I promise you. Are you prepared for those days? Are you already committed to know how you're going to react? We're going to look at some of the reasons, things we ought to do tonight. David was a melancholy man. We don't care whether that's a temperament or not. David was melancholy. A melancholy is someone who has very deep and overwhelming feelings at times. And all you have to do is read a few psalms to know David was a melancholy. Because the, the, the feelings would come and roll over him, and he would weep and cry. Sometimes he said he made his bed to swim. He would cry so much. Now, that's, a, that's hyperbole. His bed wasn't really floating. He did not have an inflatable mattress underneath it. But he spoke of great emotion. David was all out. When David was dancing, he was doing it with all his might. When he was weeping, he was almost overwhelmed. And where we find the words overwhelmed in the Bible, we find many of them right here in the book of Psalms. David was afflicted and persecuted more than any man more than anyone you will ever meet. And he prospered. Why did God afflict David so much? Why did God afflict the man after his own heart so much? For your instruction. Amen. Because David was the one that wrote the Psalms where we can go and peek into a man's private closet. When you pray in private, are there things that you say? Is that, is that your real character that comes out when you're praying in private? Do you know what we have? Close to 150 prayers, psalms, songs of David about his own heart and about his own faith and trust in the Lord. It's an interesting book of the Bible because you get to go into another man's soul. And you get to do it by inspiration. The man is not pulling your leg or pretending something. It's what the Lord let us see about David. And so there's great value in looking at his life. David got old. Do you know David got old? 2 Samuel 21 tells us that when they went out to battle against one of the giant sons, Ishbibanab, he was almost killed by Ishbibanab. And his friends had to rescue him, and they said, You will not come out here any longer. You know what? We're all getting older. There comes a time when we're going to be old and we can't do the things that we once did when we were young. I mean, David was the giant killer, and yet he had to be protected by his own men. He got so old that at the end, 
he couldn't even keep his own body heat. They could pile all the quilts on him that they wanted, and he could not stay warm. So they had to get him a hot water bottle by the name of Abishag. But they kept him warm. You all know what I mean. That's comforting. David was still a man that pleased God his whole life. Because God blessed him right up to the last day of his life and gave him Solomon on his throne and magnified Solomon on David's throne. He had great faith and he used it well to fight his temperament that would ordinarily have become very discouraged by so many afflictions and persecutions. First thing I want to tell you tonight, David was not a historian. He didn't live in the past. David did not live in the past. Psalm 25. I've only got a few minutes. I've only got a few minutes. And there's, you know what the Psalms are all about? They're about David's faith and trust in the Lord. There's 150 of them. What if we only took five minutes apiece? You don't even want to think about it. Twelve and a half hours. Psalm 25. David was not a historian. He did not live in the past. He was a sinner, just like the rest of us. But he went on. And you know, I've tried to teach you, I taught you a sermon entitled Starting Over. David knew how to start over. When he sinned, he confessed it, and he went on. Which is what every successful Christian must do. And to be a man after God's own heart, you have to trust God's faithfulness and His justice to forgive sin, confess it, and go on. You do not help expiate your sins by grieving and groveling over them. That does not help. If you want to get them forgiven faster, then go to Him in absolute confidence and unload them and don't give them another thought. Because that is trusting the forgiveness and faithfulness of God. Psalm 25. Verse 6. More verses could be read, but we'll, we'll try to limit ourselves to the ones that count the most. Psalm 25, 6. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. David sinned in his youth. You know what he did? He just turned it over to the Lord and he said, Lord, remember the tender mercies and the loving kindnesses that you are well known for and wash away the sins of my youth and let me go forward according to thy mercy and remember thou me for thy goodness sake. Don't remember the sins. Get rid of them. Remember me in the face of your goodness. Ah, that's what we want to do. That's how we want to confess our sins and go forward. Look at Psalm 32. Psalm 32. You know, many of these psalms are getting into David's closet with him. Do you appreciate the book of Psalms? That one of the most special men that have walked the earth, you are allowed to see inside him by the grace of God. Psalm 32. Again, he was not a historian. Melancholies tend to be historians and other temperaments. I'm not, I don't even want to say the word temperament again. It's not, it's not essential to the, the evening at all. Many like to hold on to their sins and think that by grieving about them, it helps get rid of them. It helps God's forgiveness, and it doesn't. Right. Our forgiveness of sins is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and that alone. Amen. And every little bit that you try to get rid of yourself, you're saying the blood is not enough and you will not be forgiven. Right. Just leave them at the cross where Jesus Christ paid for every one of them. Amen. Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silence, 
My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned to the drought of summer. Selah. Have you ever felt like you're drying up from the inside out? Because sin, sin was in his life and God was chastening him. Verse 5, he tells us how to get rid of it. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. You will not find three selahs jammed together closer than that anywhere else in the book of Psalms. This is where David wants you to slow down and stop and think about when he was drying up from the inside out. Do you know what he said he needed to do? I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my, trans- my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions. And then he went forward, confident that the Lord was going to bless him and deliver him from all his enemies. Because he confessed his sins. He was not a historian. He didn't grovel, grieve, quit, have a pity party, or anything else but his sins. He confessed them and went forward in the mercy of God. Look at Psalm 51. You know, You should know that Psalm 51 is that great confessional prayer of David for his horrible sins with Bathsheba and the killing of Uriah, her husband. There's so much in Psalm 51, but let me just show a few things to you from it. You know, he starts out with begging the mercy of God in verse 1. He knows there is nothing he can bring except one thing. What is the one thing David knew that he needed to bring to be forgiven that kind of a sin? A broken and a contrite heart. O God, Thou will not despise. Do you know how many people think inside? They don't like to get up and talk about it. They don't think that that's enough for the Lord. That you got to bring Him more. Do you know what He wants? Just us broken. Not excusing ourselves. Not defending ourselves. Not blaming anyone else. Not blaming His law for being too hard broken and contrite. I am wrong and you are right and against thee and thee only have I done this evil in thy sight. He forgives. Mm -hmm. David knew that. That that is verse 17 that I just quoted to you. O God, thou wilt not despise a broken heart. He starts out with the mercy of God. He begs God to cleanse him. He says, I acknowledge my transgression. Verse 3. He's not a historian. He gets it out there for the Lord to deal with it. He's not going to carry it around for long. He's going to get it in the Lord's hands. That doesn't mean he forgets it later. But it does mean that he doesn't carry it around believing that he's no longer in the favor of God because of it. He gives it back to the Lord and begs the Lord to forgive him. And in the very psalm of confession, he's already committing himself as to what he's going to do for the Lord as soon as the Lord forgives him and restores his heart. Verse 4, You know, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Verse 5, he admits that his whole life has been based in iniquity because he was born a depraved sinner. Verse 5, verse 6, he knows what the Lord wants. Truth in the inward parts. He begs the Lord to purge him. Verse 7, to bring back the joy of his salvation in his his heart. Verse 8, he doesn't want, he wants the Lord not to look at his sins and to blot them all out. In verse 9, he asks for a clean heart. 
He wants a right spirit renewed within him. These are things we have to ask for, and a wise man asks for them. He doesn't say, well, my heart's ruined. I can never please the Lord again. I can never be what the Lord wanted me to be. I'm ruined. David didn't say that. David said, I acknowledge my sin. Give me that joy and that clean heart back. And here's what he's saying he's going to do. In verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Look at what he's in one psalm. He is moving from, I was shapen in iniquity. I have sinned horribly against thee. Look at what he's admitting. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. What is blood guiltiness? Murder. I'm a murderer. Deliver me from being a murderer. And I'll sing. Notice, he is not, I'm ruined. I'm an adulterer and I'm a murderer. I can never amount to anything to please the Lord. David does not do that in Psalm 51. He's not a historian. He does not live in the past. He gave it to the Lord and he told the Lord, if you'll put back within me what I once had, I will use it for your service. I will teach transgressors and I will sing. He says in verse 15, O Lord, open thou my lips. I'm sure they've been closed for a little while. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. That is a man who is not defeated by sin. And you know why it's in the Bible? It's in the Bible for our instruction and our learning. Amen. May the Lord bless us not to be historians. Psalm 130. Oh, there's, so, there's so much more that could be brought out of Psalm 51, I realize. Forgive me for not doing it justice. Psalm 130. Verse 3. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? David certainly knew about the sinfulness of man. But he also wrote verse 4. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. He knew that he was hopeless. He knew that all men were hopeless. And if God should ever mark iniquities and make men pay for them, no man could stand. But he knew that there was forgiveness with God. Do you know? Do I know? Do we know that there is forgiveness with God that he may be feared? Feared in a way of wanting to please Him. May the Lord teach us that. We know we can't stand before Him, but He is a very forgiving Heavenly Father. David knew he could start over. Let me, let me share a little something with you, a little sideline here on starting over. You know, when he tried to move the Ark of the Covenant the first time, God killed Uzzah because he tried to move it the wrong way. As soon as he heard after 90 days that Uzzah was doing quite not Uzzah, but Obed-Edom, was doing quite well because the ark was in his house. He knew that God was still with that ark. And he he went back down there and he got those Levites and he told them, you're going to move it this time. Because you didn't do it last time, it cost me my parade. The Lord made a breach on us and killed Uzzah because you didn't carry it. And you got to read it. How did David have such confidence? Do you know what most people would do? Well, I tried and it didn't work. I tried and it didn't work. When da- as, soon as, as, soon as, David, as soon as David sensed God still cared about the ark, where was he? Right back down at Obed-Edom's house. 
Is that a good man? That's the kind of man God loves. And I want to tell you how God responded. And it's something I haven't shown you before unless you read 1 Chronicles 15 very carefully. 1 Chronicles 15 tells us that when the Levites put the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders and moved a few paces, God helped them. Anybody read that? The word helped. God helped them. God gave a token by no one dying. And may, there may have been some other token that said God helped them. And David stopped right there and offered sacrifices because he knew the Lord was with them again. Right. It says God helped them. And it doesn't tell us what that means except uh, there wasn't an Uzzah that died. But in First Chronicles 15 it says that God helped them. But I love the man. He didn't say it didn't work the first time. I'm not going to try that again. He, the Lord killed a man. As soon as he knew that Obed-Edom was doing pretty well, he was down there to get that ark. David was not a historian. David recognized his sinful tendencies, and he would just cast himself on the mercy of God. Look at Psalm 39. Psalm 39. David knew he was a sinner. David knew he had weaknesses. You know, I think I can... I think I might be able to identify what temperament he was, but it doesn't matter. You know, he was pretty quick with this thing, with his mouth. How do we know he was quick? Go look at some of the events in his life. Did he have an opinion? Did he have an opinion when Nathan the prophet came to him and said that a rich man had picked on a poor man and taken the one little ewe lamb that the poor man had? Did, did he have a, a rather quick opinion? Was it rather harsh opinion? Do you need help in figuring out his temperament? He knew he had problems with this. Watch Psalm 39. I said, in beginning at verse 1, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace, even from good. And my sorrow was stirred. It was very hard for him to do. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, about four inches wide, and mine ages as nothing before thee. Verily, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. My hope is in Thee. David had a problem with his mouth. He committed to himself, I'm not going to speak at all. I won't even say anything good when the wicked are around me. I'll control myself and be dumb. And you know, those who like to talk, when you try to do that, what happens on the inside? The fire burns, doesn't it? The fire burns. And David felt that burning, and he, so he started talking to the Lord. And he said, Lord, show me how weak and frail I am. I am pitiful. I can't even put any trust in me. My hope is in thee. That is a great man. That is a man that overcame a temperamental weakness of wanting to talk and knowing that he sinned with his lips by tell, putting his trust altogether in the Lord and admitting that he, like other men, were very, very frail. And he put his trust in the Lord, put his hope in the Lord. David knew his family was a mess. 
Do you know how what a mess David's family was? I mean, do I have to remind you of his sons, the incest, the sedition, the murder that went on in David's family? His family was a mess. No one in here has a family like David's family. Did that ruin David? Not at all. On his deathbed, he said, Although my house be not so with God, he knew his house didn't measure up to God's standard for righteousness and, and rulership at all. He said, Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. And this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. Amen. Those are his dying words. Is that a man all messed up and ruined because his family was a mess? No. That is a man who put all of his trust in the Lord. And brethren, there's been a covenant made with every one of you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Every first Sunday evening of the month, we take a cup and say, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. And we take that as a symbol of the covenant that has been made with and for us. Right. When you sin, and you will, and David did, what are you going to do about it? Confess it and go on. Although my house be not so with God, my hope is in God, because He is faithful and righteous and just for me. When you know there are failures in your life, how much do you help by wallowing in self-pity? Does that help you take care of the failures? Yep. Or does that just add another one to them? Amen. Yep. David didn't do any of that. He confessed and he went forward. David, another point. David understood chastening. When bad things happen to Christians, David understood that God's chastening did come in the lives of his saints. Look at Psalm 56. Psalm 56. Can, do you really understand that David was hit with more negative events than anyone else we can read about in the Bible? Are you going to say Job? Job was a temporary trial. David's continued his whole life. David's continued his whole life. I want you to think about that when you read the Psalms. You've got to remember this man was hit with more afflictions than anyone, and he was less deserving of afflictions than anyone. How could the man after God's own heart be treated so violently? You know why? For your instruction, tonight. That's why. God used David as an example for all of us. Right. Here's what David understood about chastening. Do you appreciate chastening? Do you thank the Lord when He knocks you around a little bit to get your attention because you're not doing something as well as you could or should to please Him better? Are you thankful for it? Okay, let's go. Psalm 56, verse 8. Thou tellest my wanderings. God records them. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When you're wandering in trouble and you're crying and you don't know if anyone knows how much you hurt, there is one that knows and he's got your tears in a bottle and your wanderings in a book. When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. Do you, do you hear those words? This I know, God is for me. Even though the Lord might let my enemies have the advantage over me for a while, and I might do some wanderings, and I might do some crying, I know that my wanderings, God tells them. That means He records them. Right. And God puts His tears in a bottle. And the bottom line for David was, I know that God is for me. He understood that chastening was from the Lord. It didn't mean that God had forsaken him. 
The danger of chastening is that we think God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't care about me anymore. David did not respond that way. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We've got a number of options on afflictions, but let's go to Psalm 119. Look at these short, precious statements. If you ever go through the book, the, the, the chapter of Psalm 119, you will encounter these verses. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Is that a man who appreciates a little affliction? Before I was afflicted, I was going astray. Now I'm keeping your word. Does anybody understand that at this level? Yes. I do. Do you? And if he needs to bring some more, bring it. When you're in something that's very painful for you, and you're praying more because of it, are you able to tell the Lord, Lord, if this is what it takes to make me pray more, bring it on. I hope you're saying that while you're praying a whole lot more. Are you willing and able to say that? Because God does bring those things to bring you to your knees so that you will pray more and seek His face more. And when you lift yourself up and forget to pray, look for something to happen to drive you back down to your knees. You say, is that a cruel God? That is a loving Heavenly Father who is trying to perfect us. That's verse 67. Verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. What a spirit! We're looking at a man, how he deals with feelings, with, with negative events in his life. Look at how he dealt. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. I see the end goal of why I'm living with the Philistines. I see it. David understood and he accepted it. He was thankful for it. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. I know, Lord, that you are right and what you've done to me is right and fair and good and your purpose was your glory and my profit. Are you able to say that? If you know if you were ever to use Psalm 119 for meditation purposes, you would encounter verses like that. Right. Do you know what? When you get down on your knees and you pray verse 75 to the Lord, do you, do you pray it with meaning? I know. You know, you can't pretend it's David anymore. If you're praying this verse to the Lord, it's you know. This is a wonderful, wonderful chapter for praying. Amen. Lay your Bible on a chair and open it. I don't care if you do this. I don't care where you land. It's going to be good in Psalm 119. And then just read it and dwell on it and pray it to the Lord. In 75, I know that you in faithfulness hath afflicted me. You know, we like to... Whenever you hear that somebody has got angry because God has done something in their life, what does it do to your insides? (laughs) It, It makes me violent inside that anybody would accuse God of being unrighteous. Right. All the men that were at a men's meeting on Wednesday night, and Daniel Crosby got up and told the story about a Baptist minister in this town who lost his wife, who left being a Baptist minister and became an atheist because God took his wife. Hmm. And he is sitting next to his son in class who is also an atheist. Do you know how horrible that is? David said, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. Amen. 
you took my baby. This is David praying. Do you know how to read the Bible? You took my baby, and you are right, and that you took it in faithfulness in afflicting me. Amen. Psalm 42. Did David ever get discouraged? Yes. Did he get depressed? Yes. Did he get destroyed? No. Did he get cast down? Yes. Did he know how to deal with getting cast down? Yes. Can we learn right now what to do when you're cast down? Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Look at David in verse 5. I'm, I'm summarizing these chapters. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? This is very different from how we speak. Here's how you and I speak. Soul, I am cast down. You ever talk to yourself that way? You all look at me like that, and I'm going to have to quit right here on the spot. You'll leave me naked up here in front of you. But I don't care. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Soul, I'm cast down. I'm talking to myself. I'm discouraged. That's so stupid. Why would you talk to yourself that way? Do you know how David talked to himself? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Soul, I'm cast down. I deserve to be cast down. There's so many things wrong in my life. The Lord can't use a person like me. I have no hope. For God cares about others who have more gifts than I do. My praise will never amount to anything worthy of mention. I can't please you and I never will. Soul, just give up and plod forward one more day. Or, soul, If you don't feel like plodding forward, let's just go to bed. Now that's a melancholy curse. That's how some people talk to themselves. Oh, I'm so discouraged. Nothing's working. My family's a mess. My finances aren't turning out. I'm nothing. I can't do what I want to do. I'm just a failure. I'm so discouraged. Nothing's going to work. I'm just going to quit. I'll just go to bed. Maybe I can find some peace there under the covers. Now, I don't know how you all do it. And I just expose myself to you. And I'd like to get every one of you to come up here and do that for five minutes. It'd make me happier. I don't do that very often. Amen. Here's what it tells me to do. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Amen. He gives the answer. And why art thou disquieted within me? Why are you stirred up and irritated, frustrated, discouraged, depressed? Why, soul, are you doing that? Hope thou in God. This is a beautiful, beautiful psychological lesson, if you'll allow me to call it that, right here in the Word of God. When you're discouraged and you're fearful and you're anxious about something or you're depressed, cast down, and do not think it's going to work, ask yourself this question instead of asking whether you should go to bed or not, or whether you should quit or not, or whether God's ever going to accept you again or not, ask, why art thou cast down? And then answer the question, hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. And brethren, there is no one in this room 
that will be in conditions like David was. They will not be as severe as David's. David's were more severe. And he said, Hope thou in God, for I will, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That is how he handled discouragement. Do you see him laying hold of the future in verse 5? Do you see him laying hold of the future in verse 8? Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer shall be in the God of my life. I know that God is going to take care of me whether it's day or night. He's going to bless me and take care of me. Verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Amen. That is a Bible lesson on how to deal with discouragement that you are not amounting to what you think you should. What you think you should is what the devil has told you to measure yourself by so that you can come up on the short end of the stick and be ruined. Hope thou in God and get up and do what's before you. If it's as dumb as going and getting the mail, get up and go get the mail. By getting up and going and getting the mail and saying, I'm hoping in God, you'll get outside at least and see that the sun is shining and that he's never left us. Just get up and do something and put your trust in the Lord. Amen. He'll take care of the rest. He did David, and David faced more things than you'll ever imagine. Anybody, what do you want to do? You want to pick on finances and compare them to David? Do you want to pick on family and compare it to David? What do you want to pick on about David? And I will tell you about David exceeding you in problems. And he handled it this way. We can handle our little problems the same way. Chapter 43. Verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? I won't read it again. There's three of them. You know, if you did that in English, if you wrote two poems and you had three verses that were identical to each other, what is the word that the teacher would have written on the page? Redundant. Redundant. Unnecessary repetition. A waste of words. But I want to tell you something. When the Holy Spirit gives us something like this three times over, that repetition is holy. are holy words, and they're inspired for your benefit. Amen. That is the way you're to talk to yourself. And if, you, if you're in a situation where you're saying, why art thou cast down, which I hope doesn't happen too often, but when it does, there's an answer. Hope thou in God. Look at how he prayed when he's in such a condition. Verses 3 and 4. O oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. These are incredibly emotional words of David saying that God was his exceeding joy. So when he was cast down, he said, Lord, if you will let your light and your truth lead me out of this problem that I'm in, here is what I give you. You are my exceeding joy. All I want is to get back to your altar. He put his hope in God. And he tells us how he did it. Remember, I preached a message to you not a few weeks ago, I mean just a few weeks ago, about 1 Samuel 30, when David and his men arrived at Ziklag and the city was burned. He had lost everything. He had to live among the Philistines, and when he got to his place among the Philistines, his whole house was burned, his wife's 
His wives had been kidnapped with his children and were long gone. Horrible situation. You just got to think through all the compounding factors of that. And then it tells us that the other men, his loyal companions, wanted to stone him because they blamed it on him that they had to live among the Philistines because it was David that King Saul hated. And you want to feel low? Can somebody, does anybody remember what 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6 taught us about David in such a predicament? He encouraged himself in, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Amen. Hope thou in God. Later in life, did it happen again? Absalom chased him out of the city. These two psalms. He hoped in God that God would bring him back to his altar and he would make God his exceeding joy again if he could be there to worship him at that altar. He did not let discouraging events in his life destroy him. He put his trust in the Lord. He talked to himself the right way. Psalm 27, and we'll close. Psalm 27. deserves a series of about series of about 10 weeks. Psalm 27. 14 verses of Psalm 27. How to deal with fear. Fear is something that comes from the inside. It's not a Goliath. You can't go and stone another man. It's something on the inside. You are afraid when there are circumstances that you are expecting pain to resolve. You are afraid when there is unknown in front of you and you're not sure what to do. Fear. How did David deal with fear? Psalm 27 tells us. I hope you read it last night. I encouraged you to read it in the preparatory email. Let me point out a few things about it. Verse 1, look at his faith. He raised himself up by faith. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now those are words speaking to himself. Encouraging himself. Not to be afraid because the Lord is his light and his salvation. Look at verse 3. Same thing. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. He's encouraging himself in his trust in the greatness of his God. Verse 10. When my mother, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. He said, even though my mother and father might forsake me, which would be very hard to imagine, the truth is, his father and mother left Israel to dwell with David as well. But David said, if they were to forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Verses 13 and 14. I had fainted. I would have been destroyed unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that is what you read in Psalm 42 and 43. Hope thou in God because he will yet be the strength of my countenance. And he says that here, I had fainted. I would have been ruined by my circumstances unless, which he did, he believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. There is David raising himself up and encouraging himself by faith in a great God. 
Then he, then he raises himself up and encourages himself by his remembrance of past deliverances. Verse 2. When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. That's past tense. Verse 2 is past tense. He's recalling other conflicts that he has had where God delivered him, which is what we should do when we're facing something fearful. First, encourage ourselves in the Lord because he will deliver. Second, he's delivered in the past. Why do you think he's not going to deliver in the future? He has done it in the past. Go to verse 9. Again, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave of what are, what's important to you. Tell the Lord what's important to you because the Lord will deliver those who delight in Him. Look at what David said in 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Why is that stuck in the middle of Psalm 27, which is entirely altogether a psalm against fear? Why is it there? Because he's telling the Lord, he's telling the Lord what's been important to me, and from that he evokes sympathy and desire on the part of the Lord to rescue him. Verse 8, When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. David was never afraid in his prayers to tell the Lord about his righteousness or about his integrity. David was not afraid to say, Try me. David was not, to say, was not afraid to say, Prove me. David was not afraid to say, search me, because David tried to live a virtuous and righteous life. And in 4 and 8, he's appealing to God to say, you, your face I have sought, and your house I have sought, therefore deliver me. He, he encouraged himself with God's power in verse 5. I've used this verse before with you, because I like the word pavilion in it. Psalm 27, verse 5, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. David, using very powerful picture language of that great pavilion of a king in the midst of his army, where that king would invite David in and hide him in the secret of his tent or tabernacle and put his feet on a rock and keep him from sinking any further. He's encouraging himself by God's power. He encourages himself by promising God his service. Verse 6. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. I know the Lord's going to deliver me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Promises of service. I will follow you, Lord, if you'll teach me. In a psalm on prayer, in a psalm on fear, David is appealing to the Lord. This is how I will serve you, and encouraging himself by laying those promises out to the Lord. And of course he prays. In verse 7 he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry. In verse 9 he says, Hide not thy face far from me. And then in verse 12, he appeals to his own righteousness. Verse 12, Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. He was being 
mistreated by false witnesses, which David was not. And so he appealed to that for the Lord to deliver him, that it wouldn't be fair for false witnesses to rise up against him because there wasn't anything that they could truly accuse him of. And he tells the Lord, this is false. This is not fair. It is not right. Deliver me. A psalm on fear. Everyone in here is going to be afraid at times. Psalm 27 is a psalm that you want to stick in your memory bank. When I'm afraid, I want to go to Psalm 27. Because in Psalm 27, David shows us how to overcome fear. Fear is what the devil wants you to be filled with. Confidence is what the Lord gives. And it's by trusting in the Lord. Whenever you're discouraged by your afflictions, or whenever you're discouraged by thinking about yourself, or whenever you've allowed the devil to have an inroad into your heart to where you're thinking negative thoughts about life and about your soul, you are told what to do. Hope thou in God and get up and do something. David sinned worse than you can or will. David was afflicted more than you have been afflicted. And David was able to handle them. And you have the same spirit that David had. You are able to move in the direction of David. If you are telling yourself right now that I'm not David, that is the devil speaking and it is not a man and it is not the Holy Spirit. That is the devil speaking. And you are giving place to the devil by allowing words like that in your life. Shut him up with the shield of faith and say, Thank you, Lord, for giving me the word of God that tells me, Hope thou in God, for you will yet be the strength and health of my countenance. That is how you're supposed to think. Those words are from the Spirit of God. Those words will help you. The other will destroy you. May the Lord bless the short preaching of His Word tonight. And may we be more and more, in all respects, like David.